welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to three easy questions in diagnosing PTSD. So a client of mine kept fainting, and it was ruining her young life. And this client has had it all, you know, in, in the form of brain scans. She'd had PET scans, EEG, CT, fMRI scans, you know, plus brain tests I'd never even heard of, but they'd found nothing to account for her fainting. Emily, which was her name, her mother, Jane, brought her to me for hypnosis, but Emily, the intelligent and articulate 15-year-old that she was, did most of the talking, and she said, I hate this. You know, my friends go on about how they'd like to change their body shape or something about their face, but the only thing I want to change is this fainting. I just want to stop fainting. And Emily told me how she'd fainted while out boating on a school trip to France and had to be rescued. So school trips now for her were off limits. Her life was getting smaller and smaller. She told me how she'd fainted on the stairs at school and fallen halfway down the flight of stairs, obviously unconscious at that point. She rolled up her sleeve and showed me the lingering scar on her forearm from having fainted and fallen down the stairs. So now she was no longer allowed upstairs at school and was missing out on seeing some of her friends who were who spent time upstairs. She explained how she couldn't accept invitations for sleepovers because she was worried about passing out at a friend's house, although it only ever happened at school, interestingly enough. So I started to wonder, and I didn't like what I was thinking. And what I was thinking at this point was, is there some kind of payoff for her? Uncharitably and briefly, I wondered whether Emily was getting some kind of subconscious benefit for her proneness to falling unconscious. After all, there didn't seem to be any physical reason for this, for these fainting fits. And certainly she'd been marked out for special treatment and had received an unusual amount of attention and compassion from people. But this explanation just didn't feel quite right to me. Emily told me she'd had months of therapy with a cognitive behavioral therapist, but she'd found the analysis of all her thoughts had, if anything, made her feel more anxious, and she believed that this had actually increased her number of fainting fits. So then I started to think there might be some traumatic cause for this, and I used three questions to find out whether, in fact, trauma was at the root of these fainting fits. So the three questions that help in diagnosing PTSD are, firstly, did anything in particular happen around the time the symptom first occurred? Now, this seems to be so obvious, and yet it's surprising how often it gets missed, and I'm ashamed to admit that it was not until my second session with Emily that I got around to asking her this question myself. So I asked Emily how long she had lived with these life-restricting fainting fits. And she told me it, uh, it must be about two years now. And did anything happen to upset you around that time? I asked. And at this point, Emily's mum, Jane, interjected. And she said, well, actually, there were a couple of upsetting things back then, weren't there, Emily? And it turned out that Emily had been very close to their 70-year-old neighbour, Pam. Now, Pam had seemed much younger than her years, and Pam was a vibrant and lively woman, and like another grandmother to Emily, with whom she had a great relationship. 
But it was a terrible shock for Emily to come home one day from school and hear from her father that this lovely neighbour Pan, who'd seemed so young and vibrant, had passed away, had died very suddenly. This was a terrible shock to Emily, not surprisingly. But there was more to come. Only a few weeks after that, Emily had returned from school to yet another awful shock. The beloved family dog, dog that she absolutely loved, had been run down in the street and killed. Again, this had happened while she'd been at school. And come to think of it, said Jane, it was just around that time that you started fainting at school, wasn't it, Emily? So these two deaths had occurred when Emily was not at home. She had been at school and her brain had perhaps tagged school or being at school as if not the cause of, then at least associated with the death of loved ones. And of course, she knew consciously and cognitively that her beloved beloved neighbour and her darling dog had died for reasons completely unconnected with herself and her actions or, or whereabouts. But her subconscious mind had perhaps made some kind of a link. So, you know, when we're traumatised, we try to complete patterns through dreaming or talking or rituals or metaphorically acting out like dying while at school by having fainting fits. Now, that was a neat explanation, but I pushed my theories aside and determined not to assume anything. So I explored a bit further. So the second question, question two, does it make you really upset to talk about it even now? This is a way of diagnosing trauma. This is such an important part of assessing whether a particular memory needs de-traumatizing. So I, I asked, you know, Emily, when you think about that time, when your dad told you about Pam, does it still feel raw and painful even now, two years later, just to remember that time? And Emily took a few seconds to recall the moment she'd heard of Pam's unexpected death. And almost immediately tears appeared in her eyes and she began to shake a little. And that was all I needed. Okay, and then I sort of changed the subject again. You know, but I'd got that sample of traumatic effect in a set. So it was the same with the dog. Emily said even thinking about hearing the news made her feel just as upset as I did at the time, in her words. And it sounds blindingly obvious, but the quickest way to find out whether you need to treat trauma is simply to ask, does it hurt now when you think about it? Which leads into the third way of assessing trauma. So question three, has time stood still? Traumatic memories, because of how they become logged or trapped between the amygdala, the fight or flight part of the brain, and the hippocampus, an area where recent memories are stored, these sorts of memories don't fade with time like normal memories. So neutral or even pleasant memories start to feel a long time ago as they become stored in the neocortex areas of the brain. But persistent traumatic memories don't get transferred into long-term memory unless we help the client do that. So I've worked with many traumatized people, some of whom had traumas stretching back to the 1940s. Okay, so we're talking about really quite ancient memories. But these types of memories, no matter how long ago the trauma was, all felt recent or even current. They don't seem to fade in the way that 
usual memories do. Emily told me that when she thought about those two times, she came home from school to terrible news. It didn't feel like two years had passed since those experiences. And she said it felt like it happened yesterday. And in fact, Emily told us, I, I can still see dad standing by the kitchen door telling me Pam's dead. I can see his face. It feels like it's happening right now. So I asked Emily if she'd like to put those memories where they belong in the past. And she said she would. I also suggested to Emily and her mother Jane that I couldn't be sure, but I suspected the fainting may very well stop once those memories had been de-traumatized. So what happened? Well, I helped Emily by using the rewind technique to decondition the painful emotion from those two memories so that they no longer had power over her. She could always feel justifiably and naturally a little sad whenever she chose to think about Pam or her dog. But the point was she could choose to think about them. The memories wouldn't come back to her without her deciding to think about them. After the rewind, we tested how Emily felt about those memories now, and she told me something that I often hear after a rewind session with a client. She said, it feels all faded and really distant now, like it was a very long time ago. So the takeaway for uncovering trauma is, don't assume there must be a traumatic route to a troublesome symptom, but be aware there might be. Ask if anything upsetting occurred before or around the time the symptom first started. If there was, then ask if it still hurts even now. Not if it was painful at the time, but if it hurts now, if they just think about it. Ask if the memory feels more recent than it should do, considering how long ago the event occurred. And Emily's sad memories were put in the past where they belonged, and she never fainted at school again after that. So treating the trauma treated the symptom. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog.